and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Cameron Buzard Mary. How's it how's it going, Sam? It's it's fine. I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm so sleepy. This is bad energy for a podcast. <laughs> it's kind of early right now, although it's not actually early. It's just early for like a weekend. <laughs> so we're just very tired. Yes. Because we can do this. Weekends are something that are so rare for us, for us to rest on. Wait, what? I don't know. All right, what do you got? <laughs> All right, so today I want to go over a very special topic. Something that probably everyone's been hearing about a lot, and that is all the COVID-19 vaccines and the vaccine trials around them. Yeah, I can't wait to hear anti-vaxxers say how they're not going to take down. No, no, don't be a downer, Cameron. Okay, no. (laughs) Okay, but seriously, this is like, everyone seems to have a vaccine. It's like a podcast, like everyone has one. Like you go to a family reunion and everyone's talking about their new vaccine. Yes, (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. So that's why I thought it'd be a good idea for us to discuss just some of the big ones, some of the ones we'll be seeing, and also, you know, what are vaccines and how do how do vaccine trials do? <laughs> Fantastic vaccines and where to get them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's dive in. So you may remember probably from about a month ago, all the headlines going on about the COVID-19 vaccines entering phase three trials or like we may have a COVID vaccine by the end of the year. Who's saying this? Like you said, like it's like P.T. Barnum's just like on a box. Come (laughs) see the fantastic new vaccines here. I was reading so many headlines of like, oh, vaccines. Yeah, it's happening. Everyone was very excited. You could tell that like most of the country is like, maybe we won't have to isolate anymore. Like, oh, boy. All right. So now let's just go ahead and shatter those dreams real fast. (laughs) All right. Well, let's actually talk about what those stories were. They were usually referring to two different vaccines that entered phase three trials around the same time. One developed by AstraZeneca and Oxford, and one developed by Moderna and the NIH, or the National Institutes of Health. And a lot of excitement was going on in the news because these vaccines were starting phase three trials, and the companies making them were estimating that they could start distributing them by the end of the year, if everything goes well in the trials. Like AstraZeneca indicated, they may be able to give out emergency vaccines starting in October. Okay. So actually something I want to, I noticed like almost immediately when you're mentioning these is I didn't realize like there are partnerships. I didn't realize there are partnerships between a, I guess, private insurer pharmaceutical company and a public like health institution, which I actually think is very interesting. I'm guessing that's just how that normally goes. Usually have the group of people like Oxford or NIH who can afford to take the hit on, we need to research and learn this new thing. And a pharmaceutical company is like, we'll throw more money at it, but we also want that vaccine so we can sell it. Yeah. So that is a thing that happens sometimes, but mainly in this case, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's really happening because of the emergency issue of this and because it's a whole bunch of collaboration going on between the more academic side and the pharmaceutical side. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and like NIH in particular, like they're giving out some of the money. So, of course, they're going to be partnered with it. Mm-hmm. And actually, most of the vaccines trials going on, they are getting funding from like public sources in order to do it. So there's a bit of that partnership going on with different universities and such. Very cool. So all this sounds very exciting and promising. I'm sure it just hyped you up a bunch. But 
I have a feeling that most people don't actually know what the stages of clinical trials are, how vaccines get approved, and what to really expect from these vaccines. So I just really wanted to talk about that today and first going into, you know, what are the stages of the clinical trials? Because you hear, oh, phase three, and I'm sure a lot of people don't actually have a gauge of what that means. This is what to expect when you're infecting. I'm just going to keep <laughs> having like... I was going to keep coming up with joke chapters, <laughs> titles for this entire story because oh they're like God. coming to me real fast today. When, I'm, <laughs> when Cameron's tired and in a sleepy place, he's like has most creative. <laughs> All right. Okay. So clinical trials, what are the phases? So there's actually four to six phases, depending upon how you classify them. I don't know if you realize that at all. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through kind of the six phase classification in a way. And that first starts off with the preclinical phase. You can think of that as like your laboratory studies. You're studying the drug or the vaccine on animals or on human tissue, and you're just trying to work out how it actually works. <laughs> you're trying to manufacture it. Okay, yeah. Okay. Then you go to phase zero. So that's when a small dose of the drug is given to about 10 human subjects, and it's usually done to see how the drug behaves in the body or like if it behaves differently from people to people. And actually, a lot of times this phase can be skipped because it's very similar to phase one. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like it's kind of an in between between you just well, developed they this drug. Well, they superpowers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you just developed this drug, and maybe I can give it to more human subjects or not. Maybe I just only want to give it to a couple and see what happens. Now, phase one, that's when the drug's given to about 15 to 100 people, and this is really to test safety and dosage. So scientists figuring out, like, how much of a drug someone needs to be given to have an effect and to be safe. And then, of course, if it passes this stage, then it moves along to the other phases. Otherwise, it just stops completely right here. Okay. And just to be clear, they're not playing loosey-goosey with these protocols right now. They're like... We're still sticking to this, even though there's a global pandemic, because we don't want people to get sick from this or worse than if they had got the virus. Yes and no. OK, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So sometimes these phases can actually be combined together. And you can do that, especially like what's happening in these trials is because they're on a tight schedule. So when I get down to it, this entire process could take years to complete. And so they're trying to fast track this into one year or less. Okay. So I just went over what phase one is. That's like giving it to 15 or 100 people. Then you move to phase two, which is a little bit larger, about 100 to 300 people. And you're usually testing the effectiveness of the drug and trying to identify any potential side effects. So phase one and phase two can sometimes be combined together because they're so close in the like sizes between them so then you can pretty much at the same time you're looking at testing like dosage and safety but then also later in the phase a testing like oh it's effectiveness and if there's any side effects that are going to come up okay yeah i mean this makes sense it's it seems like a weirdly arduous process i feel like there are parts of that you could collapse together but then again i don't know anything about vaccine trials so well it's one of those things where like yes you can collapse them together but a lot of the times you don't because you want to be overly cautious. Mm -hmm. And also each of these phases, I'd say a general rule, the further along in a phase you get or like the next phase you go to, the more expensive it is. Mm -hmm. So 
When you're a drug company and you're developing a very novel new drug, you want to be very certain that that drug's actually effective and good and going to work before you go to phase three. Because mm-hmm. phase three trials are the really big trials. Oh, that's a perfect segue. I'm about to talk about phase three. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, phase three trials, that's your big randomized double blind trial. You've hundreds of thousands of people recruited and they're randomly divided into groups. That's when you're testing the whole like control versus treatment like one group is given a placebo which is usually like a sugar pill something that like you think could be a drug but it has no effect Mm -hmm. and the other group is actually given the treatment and then you have to study them and see oh was there an effect or not was the group that got the treatment did they actually have better outcomes or not literally scientists trying to figure out if the power of belief defeats the power of science yes Okay. (laughs) Yes, you got that. But those trials, they are very expensive and they take a long time. They can take like up to a few years and, you know, they can cost like millions of dollars. It's so you want to be careful, especially if you're a pharmaceutical company and you're developing a novel new drug. You kind of want to take your time on the other phases because you don't want to get to this point and then suddenly your drug not be approved. Yeah. Like if you could, you want to identify it a lot earlier. Yeah. But the COVID-19 vaccine trials, they're kind of special because there's such an immediate need for this that they are kind of accelerating the timeline of all this. Yes, they're trying to be careful. Yes, they want to make sure there's no side effects and such, of course. But there's less of that monetary concern, I Mm -hmm. guess you could say. Like, it's more of a, ooh, let's just get something out there that's effective right now. It's supposed to be real uncharted territory for their bookkeepers. (laughs) A little. What? We, we have to put the people first? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> oh, and just want to mention, so I, I mentioned the word double blind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you actually know what that is. Is when you wear two blindfolds. When you're what? Wear two blindfolds. <laughs> no. Okay, come on. Do you actually know what double blind is? All right, is? so let me go back to my days of studying psychology and research. Okay, so blind study is the person being tested doesn't actually know what they're being tested for. But a double-blind study is the researchers who are also testing the patient don't even know what they're testing the patient for. Yes. In the case of pharmaceuticals, it's not really not knowing what they're testing for. It's not knowing what they're given. Okay. So like a blind study would be I've been brought in to, I guess, test a drug, but I don't actually know what the drug is for. Or I know it's for a specific virus. Well, more like I know what the drug is for. I know what it's supposed to do. I don't actually know if I'm given the drug or I'm given a placebo. So you are blind if you don't know if you're getting the drug or the placebo. But it's double blind because the researcher also doesn't know? Correct. So, So on the research side, the people administering the medicine, the people that are, you know, assigning all these groups... It's just generic labeling. Like think of like, okay, you have group one and group two, but you don't actually know if group one's the treatment group or not. Yeah. And this is super important because of that pesky placebo effect. Like human beings are weirdly good at picking up on cues from other human beings. So if Mm -hmm. someone's like trying real hard to convince me that this drug's going to save my life because they're pretty confident they're giving me an actual drug and not just like a sugar pill. Even if the drug was supposed to actually save my life, it's hard for scientists to know, like, is that just like, I magically got better because I believed it. And then seeing like, if they think they're actually giving me the pill and it's a sugar pill and it still works, then we'll know that the drug itself is no more effective than nothing based on nothing but social cues. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole reason. And then also, 
you can sometimes go into, it's kind of called a triple blind, which is when you're doing the analysis for this. Even the people doing the statistical analysis don't actually know what group is the treatment group and what group's the control group. And a big reason for that is like, yes, you have the bias in social cues, but also people just have a personal bias. So you're trying to prevent someone from going, ooh, I really want the like new drug to be successful and trying to look at every single thing that could be there. If you don't know which group is what, you don't have that you don't have the that interest. You don't have the possibility of that happening. The triple blind sounds like it was made to describe the American brand of research. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, but it's working. <laughs> yes. All right. So after phase three, that's when a drug or a vaccine in this case gets FDA approval. And that's when after that phase three trial, if everything goes well, then it goes out into market. I also want to mention that phase three trials and really all the trials, they can actually end early for two different reasons. So if a drug is really effective and it's showing just a huge effect, then the trial would be ended early. Mm -hmm. You do that because then it's actually you're being harmful to the rest of the public by not giving them this drug. Okay. That's an actually that's a really interesting like flip is like before you're not you're being overly conscious to make sure you didn't do harm. But now the benefit is so great you're actually considered to be harming the public by not giving them this. Yeah, and even harming your group that you're not giving the drug to by not giving them the drug. <laughs> so, That's a really interesting yeah. way to like really encourage this kind of sharing. That's, I didn't know that that was actually like a reasoning behind it. That's really cool. And then also a trial can be stopped early for the bad side, which is... They all died. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> Hopefully it's not that, but that the drug performed so poorly that you're doing more harm than good mm -hmm. by continuing the trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so after it gets through phase three, FDA approval goes into market, then you have phase four. And phase four is actually just monitoring the drug in the field. So now you have the entire population to look at how this treatment behaves. You're also able to look at how this treatment behaves when it's not being given perfectly because the thing about a pharmaceutical trial is that it's under perfect conditions. Like you know the participants are getting this amount, you know that they're getting it at these times or they're not getting it these times, stuff like that. You know they're actually taking the pill every day. Yeah, you know, the population as a whole, we're not that great at following instructions all the time. So you really get to monitor something like in real world conditions and see if there's any new side effects that pop up. Yeah. As Richard Hammond would say, if I were a girl, I'd probably get pregnant a lot. <laughs> I forgot about that line. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, go watch Top Gear because you should have watched Top Gear by now. It's just is a thing. It's, it's an great. old show. <laughs> it's great. It's not that old. <laughs> You're right. Okay. All right. So this is just a basic overview of the trials and how they work. There's actually a lot of variations like... I was describing it in terms of you have a treatment and control group. You can actually have it where you're comparing a new drug to an already existing drug and trying to see if it measures up to that performance. Mm -hmm. Or you can even have methods where you actually switch groups halfway through. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a whole bunch of variations. But let's go specific to the COVID-19 vaccines. As I mentioned, the timetable for them have kind of been sped up. Like I know AstraZeneca, they definitely had a combined phase one, phase two trial. And then they're now in a combined phase two, phase three trial. So I just want everyone to have the big takeaway from all this that clinical trials, they're very involved. 
Drugs and vaccines require a lot of time to get them developed and tested until they're able to be FDA approved. But, you know, these trials, they can be sped up under severe conditions i don't know um, like immediacy yeah no there's like if there's an urgency to it like if most of the world population is dead by the time you get the drug out there it wasn't a very helpful (laughs) drug was it yeah exactly so now that we have that whole overview let's actually go into the covid19 vaccine there's more (laughs) (laughs) let's just get into a little specifics like what do you actually need to know about them i got my bag i'm in the car let's go (laughs) so i think you mentioned near the top of the episode that there's a lot of vaccines. There's actually over 165 vaccines in development worldwide, and 32 of them are already in human trials. Just to be clear, these are all COVID vaccines. Yes, COVID-19 vaccines, not like any other kind of vaccine. Actually, two of those are already being given out in limited circumstances. So one is from China, and they've been given it to some of their military members. And there's another from Russia that was approved by the government to be given out, even though it's only just now starting phase three trial. Okay. I've seen I've seen the memes for that one. They yeah. either turn you into a USSR fan or it is just vodka in a syringe. Those <laughs> are the two memes I always see. Yeah, researchers aren't entirely happy that's happening. They're a little skeptical. Like this is legitimately, especially with in the internet age, and I've we could probably do a whole separate episode about this, but like it's depressing how often real good scientific work can get a bad rap just because of the social stigma associated with a place. Mm. And a lot of the times it's like earned. But at the end of the day, if it's something that's life-saving, it can be a real bummer when you're working your butt off to try and save the world population. The world population's trolling you. Yeah, honestly, if it works, it works. Good for them. <laughs> but it is a little concerning. And I, I remember reading one article, or at least part of it, where it was saying that there was some evidence that it may not be that effective and stuff. Or like, I think one of the scientists involved in it was doing some other things. I don't know. It's all weird. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the two vaccines that we're probably gonna see are the one by Moderna and the one by AstraZeneca. Okay. Maybe the one by Pfizer. But that's being developed in Germany. Okay. All right. So let's get into it. Yes. So let's just focus on Moderna and AstraZeneca. So you're probably wondering why there's 165 different vaccine types Mm -hmm. out there. One being that every part of the country in the world is trying to do their own thing right now because it's kind of a race to see who can get it first. And also, if they get it in their area, then they can produce it faster in that area and not have to wait for another company or another part of the world to make a whole bunch of doses and then send to them. So there's that big reason. Also, because of all this, the vaccines, they're just kind of work differently and they have different makeups. So example, Moderna and Pfizer's vaccines, they both use mRNA, which is used by the body cells to express a spike protein that is found in the COVID-19 virus. And AstraZeneca uses a different adenoviruses that inject some of the COVID-19 genes into cells. And then those cells makes the proteins found on COVID-19 to create an immune response. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this. First, The first one, so if anyone's seen an image of COVID-19, like the actual virus itself, it's basically a spiky ball. Yep. And they're using the signature of the spikiness on the ball. To help the body figure out, hey, this is COVID-19. Do something about that. Exactly. And the ones I just described, they're doing that in two different and unique ways, which I found cool. Yeah. 
that's like the reason COVID-19 has been weirdly effective at infecting and unfortunately hurting and killing humans is because this way those spiky little hooks form on the outside of it make it super good at attaching and injecting into human cells. Yeah, and the way your body's immune system works is that so you have different immune cells that they kind of recognize different particles on viruses or on other cells. It's literally shape recognition. Yeah, it, it's shape recognition. And if they realize, oh, this is foreign, oh, this is not what I'm used to, then they ingest it or they kill it or they mark it to be ingested and killed. And your antibodies in particular, they have specified shape recognition areas that'll latch onto things. So all these vaccines, what they're trying to do is train the body to say, hey, this specific spike protein, this is bad. So I'm going to train you to recognize that this is bad and needs to be destroyed so that if you do get exposed to COVID-19 later on, then your immune system will kick into high gear really quickly. Yeah. And I mean, that's how all vaccines work is pretty yeah. much. It's so weird how like when you understand your body's anatomy at like an atomic and cellular level, it's all just like shape recognition and pattern recognition and just saying like, all right, you see the spiky thing? This is bad. So if you see it, that's the most important thing is like your human body is exposed to so much weird stuff in a day that if it reacted to everything with an immune response, you would die. Well, I was going to say you're describing how autoimmune disease works. Exactly. Is yeah. that your immune system's actually thinking that something that is in your body normally shouldn't be there. And so your body's fighting itself. Yeah. And so your body doesn't, you don't want to do that because that's very bad. Yeah. But the way vaccines work is they say like, we've figured out this one specific thing is very bad. And so we need to make sure that when your body sees it, it doesn't take its merry time figuring out that it's bad. It immediately says, okay, I know this is going to start killing my cells, so I need to kill it first. Exactly. Yes. All right. I know vaccines now. You do. Good job. Did it. Do I get my MD now? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but two other things I want to mention before we move on is that these vaccines, how they're going to work, they're going to be given in two doses, about 28 days apart. And also, both of them have made sure to recruit a wide demographic of people for these trials. So let's go back in history. Historically, most pharmaceutical trials and just other medical trials generally been on a male white population. Mm -hmm. And there's been a push in the past like 15, 20 years for pharmaceutical trials to have a more diverse population to include women to include non-white individuals. And for these trials in particular, because COVID-19 has been shown to affect non-white populations more so than white populations, which we are unsure if that's actually a fact of just, you know, racial differences and stuff, probably more of a fact of different makeups of who are essential workers and economic conditions and social. A lot of things Sorry. that go well beyond biology. Yeah. You know, listen to one of our past episodes. We discussed this. <laughs> anyway. We can do that now. We can actually do that. But the whole point being that people were wanting to make sure that these trials included more than just white males. And they are. They're making a push to specifically recruit people of color and specifically recruiting older adults because both of those populations have been hit hard by COVID-19. And so they want to make sure that the vaccine is effective on those populations. Yeah. 
And again, we could do a whole separate episode about the weird ways in which testing has isolated entire groups of people from being able to be represented in the actual results of an actual drugs development and potential outcomes. But here, it's really awesome to see that they're being forward thinking like, oh, yeah, people of all types are getting this disease. So we might want to help them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So that I guess we're going to put that under the silver lining category. So what what's coming out of these trials? What's what's next? Well, what's next is to wait and see what happens. And so right now they're in phase three. I think they may actually still be recruiting or they may have already recruited all already. But it's just kind of waiting and see what happens and to seeing if they have good enough results, then it'll get approved. Also wanting to mention that just because the vaccine gets developed doesn't mean everything's going to go away as Mm -hmm. far as our safety measures go. It doesn't mean suddenly, oh, social distancing is going to end and we're not all going to have to wear masks anymore. Unfortunately not. Two big reasons. One, to get approved, it, the vaccine only has to be at least 50% effective. Mm-hmm. That means like half the people actually see a benefit from it, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. These vaccines will most likely have more of an effectiveness. But when reading this, this was reminding me a lot of the flu vaccine. So the flu vaccine actually has, don't quote me on the percentage, it's not 100% effectiveness to it. You can think of like MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, and rubella. That one has a really high effectiveness. I think Mm -hmm. it's like 98% or something. Mm -hmm. It is super effective. The flu vaccine, it's not as effective because the flu virus in general is just always mutating. There's a bunch of different strains. They're usually having to guess which one's going to be prominent, et cetera, et cetera. So with the COVID-19 vaccine, first you have to wait for it to be distributed widely. You got to wait for there to be enough doses to be given to enough people for you actually to have herd immunity and there to be a protective layer around so that COVID-19 doesn't spread. And then you also just have to be kind of diligent even when that happens. So much like during flu season, you're advised to wash your hands frequently, to like sneeze and cough in your elbow, stuff like that. Literally everything that we've been doing during COVID-19, you were supposed to be doing the whole time. Yep, right. But I'm telling you, similar guidance is going to be coming out when the COVID-19 vaccine happens. Eventually, things will lessen down. You'll probably have more freedom going out and about, probably have less instances where you need to wear a mask. But, you know, washing your hands, using hand sanitizer, it's going to always be encouraged forever. Yeah, and... and I think you want to talk about herd immunity on a different episode, but one thing I did want to bring up as a just response to any vaccine is I always hear this and maybe you can speak to it a little bit is like the frustrating description people give like, oh, well, if we just all get sick with the vaccine, then it'll just pass through the population. We'll all have herd immunity. It'll be fine. It's like, that's not actually like, despite COVID-19 being a very, very infective vaccine, it has an R naught of, I think, three, which means for every one person infected, that person can infect three other people. And those people can infect three other people. It just keeps going. And that's a lot higher than the typical flu, which is why it's been considered so dangerous. But the problem is that's still not actually that high of an infection rate. Mm-hmm. So you will still be getting people sick at a rate that most medical infrastructure cannot handle. But it won't be so fast that everyone will suddenly have it and then get over it and then be fine. And even if they did all get it, we don't have hospital space for that. A lot of people will die needlessly because they are just going to be sick for no reason. Yeah. And 
that is the frustrating thing when that's mentioned, because one, mentioning that if everyone caught the virus, then we'd have herd immunity. That's not herd immunity. That's not what that phrase means at all. <laughs> and we will talk about this on a later episode. So don't no worry. We're going to we're going to get there. Yeah. And just real quick, herd immunity is pretty much developed by vaccines. That's where that phrase comes from. And the whole point of it is that you have enough people in your population that are immune from a disease that it stops the disease from spreading. It's not that everyone gets it and now we're immune and now it can't spread anymore. It just it doesn't work that way. And a big reason why it doesn't work that way, as you were explaining, is because if we just let COVID-19 just spread rapidly throughout the entire population and did no safety measures, you would just have a large proportion of your population die. And that would not be good. That's kind of the whole point. You can think of it when it's like, oh, you have, I don't know what the death rate is, but it's like, oh, it's like some low percentage. And you think, oh, that's not bad. Well, when that's thousands of people, that's bad. And so that's why you don't want to do that. And also hospitals are going to be overrun and they're not going to be able to handle the numbers. And if hospitals are overrun, that means more people are going to be getting sick and dying because they can't go to a hospital. Think of the people who had a heart attack, not related to the COVID-19 at all, but now they can't get to a hospital because it's overrun. That's a terrible strategy. That's why we have safety measures in place. I feel like you have opinions about this. Do I? I, <laughs> I right. thought I was keeping those under control. <laughs> we're, 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 we're getting we're getting there on the time. Sam, why don't you, uh, is there anything else you want to wrap up this discussion with? What I want to wrap up with is vaccines are important, first of all. How they're developed and how drugs in general are developed, it's just a long, arduous process. And it goes through a lot and they do that for safety measures and make sure that everything's, you know, safe and working well before it's given out to the population. And hopefully these vaccines will get approved quick. But just a reminder that it's not going to be a magic thing and everything goes away. It's going to take some time. And I think on that bombshell, it's time to end. <laughs> Oh, another Top Gear reference? Another Top Gear reference. <laughs> okay. For anyone who would like to hear more of our discussion and learn more about herd immunity and learn more about covering the vaccines, or for anyone who wants to learn more about science in the news and why it matters, please like and subscribe and follow us and all that stuff. We're officially on iTunes, so we're on all your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Spotify, and we also have a YouTube channel for anyone who wants to listen to our episodes in the background while you're watching YouTube but doesn't want to actually install podcast app. Social media at Sample Size Show, YouTube at Sample Size Show. And as always, if you want to find out more about any of these topics, all of my sources are in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.